thank you for the many good gifts that you give to us. And we thank you that you have given us Christ and you've given us your spirit who's at work in us. And so we now ask you to help us. Uh, help us, Lord, um, in our weakness to learn of Christ and to deepen our love for you and uh, prompt in us new ways, uh, new motivations to serve you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Tesco is a British retailing company, and they recently had an ad, and it went this way. We're looking for a Christmas light untangler. Start date as soon as possible. And Tesco is inviting customers to bring their tangled and their, how do I say it? Un-untangleable light strings. Uh, we've all been there, right? Uh, to br bring them in, and uh, the new employee will help them. Now, uh, to be successful, this employee needs to be able to do his untangling business neatly, quickly, efficiently and in an orderly fashion, and before he begins, there is a test. Uh, a successful would-be untangler will be able to make order out of nine feet of tangled Christmas lights in three minutes or less. And there's a little more to the job. Um, be passionate and knowledgeable about the task. Take time to listen to customers. Be persistent and patient. Work with colleagues to create a team atmosphere. And uh, always be on time and properly dressed. Interested? All right. Tesco might be for you. Uh, Tesco seems to understand some of the difficulties of the holiday. And uh, here's hoping this service is going to be a hit. But there's a more sobering truth behind this little tale. And it's this. It's not only Christmas lights that get tangled. It's people's lives that are tangled as well. I mean, remember Romans 3.23? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Tangled lives need an untangler. And thankfully, the Lord has provided one back in the Psalms. We have the writer expressing this longing for the Lord to intervene. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before you. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done that which is evil in your sight. And God hears that kind of plea. Paul tells us over in 1 Timothy, it's a trustworthy statement. 
Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus came to untangle, hopelessly tangled lives. And it's really a wonderful story. And it's the story that we just heard read a few moments ago, the story of Christ's birth. Uh, we want the Lord to untangle all the difficulties in our lives so that we can better reflect his glory, so that we can live as image bearers that he's made us to be. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. If you have a Bible, uh, an app, please turn to it. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. And we're going to look, first of all, at the contrasts that are in the story. And then at the, after we've noted the contrasts, then we'll also focus our attention on this question. What happens when people get the Christian, the Christmas story? What happens when the Lord moves people uh, by faith to be drawn to the Savior? And after we've done that, we'll look at an application or two. Have you thought about the contrast? Um, we might put them into three categories, I think. Uh, a first one would be uh, one of institutions, and then another of communication, and then another of power. So what do we mean by contrasting institutions? The first three verses of Luke 2 focus our attention on big government. We're told uh, this is about the Roman government and Caesar Augustus is emperor. His title, Augustus, means exalted one, revered, uh, a big deal. And then we're told in verse 3 that Caesar can make edicts and people respond. And so all, not a few, not many, not most, all go to be registered. The world of Christ's birth is one of political power. Caesar is king. He institutes his laws. He makes things happen. Subjects do what he wants them to do. He is revered, we might say, the big man on campus. But now look at verse 4. We're told that Joseph also went up. He's a carpenter from a little family. And he complies with Caesar's decree. He's not from Rome. He's rather from this backwater Gentile community called Nazareth. And he's going up. He's down in Nazareth. He's going up to Judea, the home of his ancestry. And he's going with Mary, to whom he's committed. And while they're in Bethlehem, Jesus has a baby, and it's a baby boy. And she wraps him in swaddling clothes, and she lays him in a manger. You know about mangers, don't you? Uh, they're sometimes hewn out of limestone, three or four feet long, maybe uh, 18 inches wide, two feet deep. Shepherds put animal feed in mangers, 
And Mary lays this little baby there. Why there? Because we're told, look at the text, there's no room for them in the end. Big government, little, weak, family, institutional contrast. What's next? Well, contrasts when it comes to communication. Look at verse 8. We're told that there are shepherds in the area. Now, what do we know about shepherds in Jewish culture? A fair amount, actually. They didn't have very good reputations. They were people for whom there wasn't social acceptability. Shepherds were viewed as utterly incompetent. And the word on the street, if you see a shepherd who's fallen into a pit, don't bother to bring him out. They were deprived of all civil rights. Um, they couldn't hold office. Neither could they be admitted into court to give testimony. You want to buy some milk or wool? or meat from a shepherd, don't do it. It's probably stolen. And the rabbis, you know, the teachers of scripture, they struggled with the idea of shepherds themselves. Psalm 23 teaches, the Lord is my shepherd, and rabbis said something like this. Since shepherds are dis so despicable, how can we explain God being called my shepherd? And then one more. People called shepherds sinners. It was a semi-technical term to identify a class of despised people. Shepherds, get them away from me. That was the idea. But shepherds are in the area. And these low-life individuals are out in a field with their sheep the night of Christ's birth. So look at verses 9 and 10. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, not to important Caesar Augustus in his Roman palace. The Lord appears to them. And what do we know about angels? Well, this is an angel of the Lord. He represents the Lord. He belongs to the Lord. He's under the Lord's authority. And he comes, as we see in this passage, to display the glory of God. He's God's personal messenger. And his presence induces fear in the shepherds. This transcendent, otherworldly creature uh, is also a wise counselor, and when he sees the shepherds in fear, he says, don't be afraid. Hmm. And he explains, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, and actually what he says is, um, I evangelize you with something that will give you joy. That's the word. Interesting kind of switching, don't you think? 
On the one hand, we see shepherds cowering in fear, and on the other hand, we have an angel coming to announce great news that brings great joy. And the message, well, it's the best. In the city of David, a Savior is born. He's Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord of all. And you get to identify him. He's there, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Uh, this Friday, or let me think, uh, this, uh, yeah, early Friday morning, Debbie gets a text message from Jeannie. And she says, just wanted to let you know my granddaughter Sterling has been born. Modern technology is wonderful, isn't it? We can get the message out quickly, concisely, anybody we want. How did Jewish people get the message when a baby was born? How, how was that message passed around? Well, I'll tell you. A little boy with a trumpet would wander through the village and toot, and toot his horn. And the sound of that instrument would be a signal. The baby is here. Well, God does one better than a little trumpeter. Well, he does perhaps millions better than a trumpeter. We're told suddenly there was with one angel a multitude of the heavenly host. And it's redundant. It's a multitude of an army of the heavenly host. And what's this celestial choir do? Well, it's kind of a trickle-down effect. Angels, God's celestial messengers, come down to lowly shepherds in a lonely field, and they announce peace the world over for anyone who will believe the message. In other words, angels envelop the cosmos with praise to God at Christ's birth. Contrast between big government and a little family, between celestial messengers and low-life shepherds, and there's one more, and we'll call this, for lack of a better term, um, a power play. Go back with me and look at verse 4, please. Joseph went up to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And the backdrop, let's not forget, Caesar has made his decree for the whole Roman Empire. Everybody's got to register. Now, do you imagine that when Caesar did that, he had 2 Samuel chapter 7 in mind and God's promise to David, you're always going to have somebody to sit on your throne. Do you suspect that Caesar thought this would be a good time uh, for me to make a decree because Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says that the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. This will be a way to get Joseph and Mary up to Bethlehem just in the nick of time. Do you think he was thinking that? I doubt it. The text leaves us without any indicators, but it doesn't seem as if 
a godless emperor would have the mind of God in his decision-making about taxation. Exalted Caesar implements his tax plan, but God uses the designs of a godless king to bring Mary and Joseph to just the place of God's prophesied appointment where the Messiah would be born. Three contrasts then, uh, institutions, communication, and power, and let's just pause here for a moment and think about it. You know, when we uh, come to a narrative section in the Bible, uh, well, lots of narratives, we think to ourselves, hmm, where am I in this story? So with whom would you identify? More with big important Caesar Augustus or more with little Mary and Joseph? Um, more with the lowly shepherds or more with the heavenly choir? More with Caesar pressing his own agenda or more with submitting to the will of God, which is being worked out right before him? With whom would you identify? Well, that's by way of saying, take heart. The Lord must be working in all the little details of your humble circumstances. No matter how it looks or feels, God has to be accomplishing his greater plan for you. We're told in Romans 8, God is working together all things for the good of his people, and that includes you today. Whatever the things are, he's working his plan on your behalf for his glory. Well, we've looked at the contrasts here. Now let's move on and think about this question. What happens when people get the Christmas story? What's the story of Christ's birth do in people's lives? Before we take a look at the shepherds and Mary, think about God. Does he get the story? Yeah, he gets the story. He's writing it. He's writing it and he's directing every detail. And in the final analysis, this is his story and he's making his name great in what happens. And he does it by stooping down to a hopelessly tangled world. God gets the story. And out of his sovereign plan, he has broken people like you and me in mind. He bends down to the lowliest, to shepherds, and to Joseph, and to Mary. And how about the shepherds? Do they get it? Yeah. Look at verse 15. They say to one another, let us now go over to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. They take the angel's announcement at face value. They buy it and it moves them. They act on it and together they decide to check out the sign. 
Next, verse 16. They went with haste, found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Now, despite the need for them to protect their business interests, which are out in this field, they somehow get some caretakers and then they move on to see the Savior King. And then verse 17, what do they do? When they see the sign that the angel has given, they make known the saying. Or literally, they make known the word that they've heard about this child. And then verse 20, they return back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen as it had been told to them. Let me summarize. The shepherds are an example of what it means to follow Christ. They take the angel's words as true. They move toward the Lord to get firsthand experience with him. They tell others on the way, and they praise and glorify the Lord himself with one another. In other words, we might say up to this point, that people who get the Christmas story respond by sharing it. They share it with one another. They share it with the, those that the Lord brings into their lives and they actually share it with God himself. They give praise to him. But this is not the only way that people who get the story respond. Look at verse 19. Mary treasures all these things, pondering them in her heart. What do we mean when we talk about treasuring something? Well, we protect it, right? We preserve it. We try to keep it from damage or from loss. Uh, metaphorically, if we want to treasure something in our hearts, we, we think about it. We don't want to lose any of the details. And that goes with pondering. What's it mean to ponder? You give thought. You discuss an idea with yourself. This is another way that people who get the story respond to this story. And so we can say it this way. The shepherds get the story. Good news is for sharing. Mary gets the story. Good news is for savoring. And so what's an application for us? That you, first of all, bottom line, purpose to be more like God who's designed the plan of salvation and the Christ who's accomplished it, uh, that you purpose to be more like this one. Specifically, that you seek to know the Savior learn from him you condescend to those around you that are in need you publicly evangelize people around you you privately savor the message of God's grace in short people who get the message submit to Christ releasing the tangles of their lives to his gentle care Marl is a 
Baptist uh, is a pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church, and he gets the story, and he writes about it this way. On the day I was born, I changed the lives of a few individuals like my parents and my siblings. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he changed the lives of millions. His birth altered history forever. Sinless life, preaching, miracles. When Jesus died, he paid the sin penalty that was not his, taking the punishment of hell away from those who believe. When he rose from the dead three days later, he conquered Satan. The differences between my life and the life of Jesus Christ, those differences are drastic. Anything I could possibly do right is far outweighed, outmatched by his sacrificial love and goodness. There's never been and there never will be a man like him because he was and is God in the flesh. And the truly amazing thing, he came to die for me. It's because of his sacrifice that I can live a life of purpose. Because he came to earth, I can go straight to the Father. Because he died, I will live forever. Because he rose again, I will one day go to heaven. Without Jesus, my life doesn't mean much. With Jesus, my life can be used to influence, change the lives of others. The birth of Jesus changed everything. Well, Christmas is just a few days away for us. And I hope that you'll take this time to reflect on the birth of the Savior. Don't miss an opportunity to thank him. Uh, Christmas is really a time to reset your focus. Jesus Christ untangles tangled lives. Here are two things that you can do to move in that direction. Share the good news. Take a page from the shepherds' lives. You say, well, how can I do that? All right. You'll see a little flyer like this advertising the uh, Christmas Eve service. You could take some and pass them to some neighbors and friends. That's one thing you could do. Good news is for sharing. Good news is not just for sharing. Good news is for savoring. You say, well, what can I do about that? Well, put one of these on your mirror. And don't forget to come to the Christmas Eve service. It's only a few days away. Lord, we thank you for your grace to us in Christ. We pray that you'd help us to be more like you. People who share this great news, people who savor it. We ask these mercies in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.